Welcome to the Axe Church Podcast. Glad you're with us. This is Hunter Croft. I am uh, one of the staff members here at Axe Church, and today I have with me Pastor David Robinson. And today we're going to probe the lawyer side. If you don't know, Pastor David was once a lawyer and still likes to talk about law things. Um, we're gonna, if I'm getting paid. If, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a lawyer still. Which I'm not, so don't, don't take any advice <laughs> today. So yeah, we're going to talk about um, the law and we're going to talk about um, Christianity and, and how they interplay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I find it interesting. It, I think some people find it interesting as a combination that, uh, you know, I'm a lawyer that uh, became a pastor. Um, I guess for some people, it seems kind of like a... Uh, um, uh, a good a good testimony <laughs> because <laughs> people don't think much of lawyer. Do you know any good lawyer jokes, Hunter? Uh no, no, I, I I don't I don't know any good lawyer jokes. I just know that there are a lot of them. What's the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? Uh, what a bad lawyer can let a case drag out for several years. A good lawyer can make it last even longer. Yeah. So. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of good lawyer jokes. And, and so, I, and I love them, by the way. I love a good lawyer joke. You're not going to offend me by telling one. I think that the reason why there are so many lawyer jokes is what's interesting and part of what I want to talk about today. Uh, as believers, obviously, we have an idea of what the law ought to be. Uh, and, and of course, that idea flows from who God is. It flows from morality. It flows from what we'd call the natural law. It flows from uh, the nature of who God is and and the rules. I mean, laws, we use the word law to refer to things that that uh, we're allowed to do, like um, go a certain speed limit or something like that. We also use the word law to refer to things like gravity or, uh, you know, different the laws of thermodynamics and so on, different things in physics. And, and they both in, in some way mean the same thing, which is they are, uh, they are rules that dictate behavior, whether that's the behavior of the natural world or whether that's the moral behavior of individuals. And I think that coming back to the lawyer joke thing, one of the reasons that people... Uh, say such negative things about lawyers is because I think there's this sense that lawyers have um, grabbed onto uh, technical uh, loopholes, things like that, 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 that the job of the lawyer is to somehow try to subvert the law, to subvert the natural law, to subvert morality in order to get some sort of a, a result for their client. And so people look at lawyers like that, oh, they're all about money, they're all about subverting law, they're all about, you know, they don't want justice, they don't want law. What they want to see is that uh, their client gets paid or their client gets out of jail or their client gets whatever, but their interest isn't in morality. I mean, is that your perception of attorneys or at least your perception of what people think about them? Yeah, definitely. I think it's kind of like Congress where the Congress rating is... Uh, you know, 11% or whatever it is, it's super low if you go nationally, but everybody likes their congressman. Um, usually it's that way with lawyers too. People think that lawyers are horrible until they need one, yeah. right? Um, because if you needed one, you wouldn't be telling lawyer jokes. You'd be going to find one that you thought was good. And, and let me ask you this. How would you, if you were walking in, let's just say uh, something had happened, right? You, you needed a lawyer for some reason. When you were going to find an attorney, is it, what would you, and be honest, would you be looking for the attorney who was the most morally upright or the attorney who you had heard was most likely to get you the result, whether it was morally upright or not? Yeah. You know, probably the second one. I mean, it would, it would, it would really depend on specifics, but 
I mean, if, if an attorney was pretty morally upright, but was really good versus an attorney who was super morally upright, but not so great. Let's say they were equally good in a courtroom, but one of them was, was known that he's going to go as far as he possibly can go legally, even if that's not moral. Hmm. Um, as the other lawyer will, will is going to be, you know, hemmed in by the bounds of morality, even if he could take an advantage for you, that would be quote unquote legal. Which one do you want? Uh, I'd like to say the second one, but I guess uh, I've never been in that situation. Yeah, my experience is uh, <laughs> uh, that attorneys who, well, I want to be careful here. Uh, it depends on the person, but I think a lot of people are results oriented when it comes to uh, the law. And so we blame attorneys for being this way, uh, as we should. But the truth is, is that they're responding to the market, right? And mm -hmm. that people are looking for every possible advantage that they can get and are willing to do things that are immoral sometimes if they're legal, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, well, it wasn't against the law. Yeah. Uh, certainly you've heard that, right? Well, yeah. It's not illegal. Uh, yeah. For instance, believers, uh, you know, have issues with a number of, of laws. You'll see uh, people out in front of the Supreme Court, which we'll talk about later, um, and they'll be protesting or whatever on any side of the law. Usually those people are making a moral claim, mm -hmm. right? Not, not, not a legal claim necessarily, uh, which is to say the protesters are saying this, is, that this law should be there because it's right or it shouldn't be there because it's wrong. Um, they're rarely making just a, a legal argument yeah. when we think about those kind of like social issues, right? Uh, abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, all these things where you have these, these people on on, on the other sides of the issue, um, you know, when with the, the Obamacare mandate on uh, birth control, there was a big thing about that, or Citizens United, which was the case where they basically said that a corporation is a person and that you can't limit how much money they spend because it's free speech and so on. All these are, are big cases that have come out in the last 10 years or so, and people are vehemently on one side or the other, and they're, and they're both making moral claims. Mm -hmm. uh, wh which person is right is, is a certain um, conversation to have, and we can, we can can do that sometime if you know people are interested in uh, maybe submit some questions on that type of thing today. I want to talk more generally, more mm -hmm. thirty thousand square, uh, square foot, more thirty thousand square foot. That's uh, yeah, it's pretty large good size. Property. Yeah, more of a thirty thousand foot view. So we're we're in the plane and we're looking down on the landscape of the law today. And so what I would ask you, because you're not an attorney, obviously, um, because you're too good of a person for that, and so. Let me ask you, you know, what is your, what do you, how often do you think about the law or, or think about whether your something you're doing might be violating the law? Let's, let's take it to something just normal. Okay. Um, and I will have to advise you that anything you admit to is yeah, on yeah. a podcast. <laughs> so, uh, you know, driving your car, uh -huh. how do you think about the law when you drive your car? Do you think about the law as moral or do you think about the law as just rules that exist for, for no good reason? Um, it depends. It depends on different, like I see... Um, on how late you are? That, that's what it depends on. No, I mean, like I see lots of like using your blinker. I see that as, as a moral thing because it's having courtesy for those around you. So I see that as moral. Um, I see speed limits as a moral law. To an extent, you know, about a 10 mile per hour buffer there. Just kidding. Right. <laughs> just kidding. Right, right. Um, I see speed limits as a, a moral law because it's it's morally 
for the safety. It's it's a, a moral to follow that you would not be putting others in danger. So have you ever thought about that before I asked you this question, or have you just basically followed speed limits? No, I, I, just, I just pay attention to the signs. Right. You just pay attention to the signs because at the end of the day, your main concern with speeding laws or blinker laws or whatever is a financial one, yes. right? Um, I'm going to get a ticket. I got to go to court. My insurance rates might go up. So basically with, with traffic laws, we are controlling behavior in in kind of a punishment and reward type of mm-hmm. type of way but i don't think that most people think about are these laws based in morality yeah are the laws of of the land based in morality and and i'll make a statement here and and you know people when I made the statement before, people seem to kind of buck against it they kind of they kind of have to think about it for a while but every single law that is ever passed has always had has always been based in morality mm-hmm and so whatever it is now it doesn't mean it's the right morality right but there is a moral reason for mm-hmm. every single law and people will say well okay and i'll and i'll give you the opportunity to stump me okay um, you, you think of a law or a type of law or series of laws that's not based on morality and if i can't explain to you how it's morally based i'll give you a dollar for everyone you can name okay you can bring um, that up anytime during the podcast but if you got one now go for it i've got one now um and I don't necessarily think this is going to be all that challenging, but uh, the law in, in Clark County, you have to license your dog. You have to pay a annual fee to own a dog. Okay. Let me let me ask you to give it a shot yourself first. What, what do you think might be the issues there? Um, what are they trying to keep from happening? Overpopulation of dogs. Um, so are, have you, you've been to Cambodia before. Yeah. Do they have a lot of feral dogs running around? I think so. It's I know they're hard in Honduras. To, it's really hard to tell what is a feral dog and what is a person's right. pet, you know. Um, There's a symbiosis that exists in some places with, you know, where dogs and people are just kind of living in the city and it's all kind of just happening. Yeah, but you just feed a dog it, as it goes by. <laughs> it doesn't usually look very good for the dogs or the people yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and so perhaps that's an issue that they're trying to avoid. Feral dogs are more likely to bite people. Yeah. Feral dogs are more likely to carry a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since stopping dog bites and diseases is a morally good thing to do, mm-hmm. perhaps that's why they do it. There's also a tax element involved. It costs a certain amount of money. And that's um, what I was going to say yeah. was the other potential uh, reason for a law. I was going to say... I can see moral reasons and I can see financial reasons. And maybe those financial reasons have moral reasons and well, maybe they have immoral reasons. Let's talk it, let's talk it through. Do, can we run? Now, uh, let's not get into questions about how big government should be. Yeah. Because, goodness gracious, I don't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> but everyone would admit that a certain level of government is necessary. Um, I would like to be able to, to drive on the road and I would prefer not to have to make that road myself. Yes. You know, I would prefer, you know, whether, you know depending on what you want. I think most people would be like, yeah, I'll go with roads, right? So let's just say roads, okay? Uh-huh. Um, we want to be able to drive on a road. It costs a certain amount of money to do that. You see these guys out there all summer making us drive slower because they've got yes. their cones everywhere and whatever. And I that's just that. the law just to make us. And that's infrastructure, and I'm, and I'm glad to, oh. um, to deal with it because we need good roads. But it can be frustrating, but we, it costs money, right? Those people have to get paid by somebody. You gotta, you gotta buy the, the gravel, the concrete, the, you know, all the stuff that you gotta do to, to make a road or as they'd say in the South, the gravels, uh, they, oh. they put an S on the end of gravel. So if you're listening to this in the South, um, we're talking about gravels. So anyway, Wait, so an, an asphalt road is 
the gravels? No, like if you put gravel in your yard, like we uh. would, here we would say, I'm going to go get some gravel. I'm going to put some gravel in my yard or whatever. They would say, I'm going to get some gravels. Oh. I'm going to put some gravels in my yard. Yeah, they oh, just put an S on the end of it. Yeah. So each one is a gravel. Each little rock is a gravel. Each each little rock is an individual gravel. I so see. they're so you're getting gravels, so you're gravels. Which, which makes sense, I suppose. But they also do it with driver's licenses. What about bark? If you're getting bark for your yard, they don't it, say barks. They say barks. Bark. Yeah, yeah, they say bark dust. But with the driver's license, they they pluralize that. So if I was to ask you if you had your driver's license, you'd be like, uh, oh, you know, I, I recently got my driver's license, and if I wanted to see it, I'd say, do you have them? That's what I would really? say. Yeah, I would say, do you have them? I don't quite. I see the reason in gravels. I don't see I, the reason I, in licenses. All I've ever been able to figure out. So I was in court a lot, obviously, in, in uh, South and Tennessee, and so there's a lot of stuff going on with licenses, right? You have a DUI, yeah, yeah. and you're going to take the person's driver's license right there in court if they if they have to plead guilty to a DUI because you know they didn't hire me. Yeah. Um, so they have to <laughs> <laughs> they they got to plead guilty to a DUI, and the judge is going to say, bring them up here. About your license, your driver's license, your individual driver's license. But they don't call it a license. Like if no, nope. they don't say a driver's licenses. I, the only thing I've ever been able to figure out is that because there's an S on driver, drivers. You know, of course it's a, it's it's an apostrophe S. But uh, the only thing I've ever been able to figure out is because there's an S there that they that they refer to the driver's license in the plural. But they do. Yeah, they would talk about them. They wouldn't talk about it. They would talk about them. It seems like. The, I wonder how that happens. Does it happen from someone who is not educated in why it's called a driver's license and doesn't know that it's possessive, not plural? Someone who is uneducated about that starts doing that, and then other people who know better just accept it anyways? Is that I, how I, that happens? It's very possible that there used to be more than one document involved or something. Oh, maybe. You know? That could have been it. I don't think it has to do with uneducated. I think that somewhere along the line, there was a plural aspect to this, and it stuck. Interesting. You know, I, I think that's the issue. So, uh, but I don't know. I don't know why. It always <laughs> drove me crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why you would call this individual card, you know, something plural. Yeah. Do you have well, them? Well, we, we, you call it, per, you, we, we mess up plurality. I don't know why we're talking about plurality now, but. But let's, if, let's play it out. Let's, so if, if there's a person over there, I might say, I'm going to go talk to them, but I'm talking about one person. I'm not talking, but it, it's hard to say. I'm going to go talk to him. You could say him or her. I think I would probably say him or her. I don't know that I would say I'm going to go talk to them. Uh, Jack is over there in but the that's corner. A very common I'm going to go thing talk to, to them. I, no, I wouldn't well, say that. Well, you wouldn't say that, but if if you, if you there were, say, someone you didn't know. I can see the, the place where you're, where you're saying it, that there would be that aspect. But even stuff like pants, like... You know, it's just a pant, right? Glasses, yeah. There's two pieces of glass in your glasses, but it's a single object. Yes. You your don't ever have a single glass object, yeah. Or unless you're unless you've got pants that are actually separated into <laughs> yeah. two, and then you have but a, like you zip all the way around <laughs> yeah. or something. Then I, I don't, don't know see, how that works. yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that we do like that, and in this case, they do it with the driver's license. Interesting. I don't know. Um, I don't even know where I was, but but the point is, we've got to have. Taxes are actually based on morality. Now, whether you think that the amount of taxes or which taxes or whatever are are particularly moral, the whole point is you're making a moral argument about it, mm-hmm. and those who are passing these taxes are making a moral argument and about you're it going, also. And you want to change those laws through moral argument. That's right. You you want to persuade. It's not persuasive 
to say, I mean, there's something persuasive in saying I'd rather pay less money. Okay. But that's not persuasive to get rid of a tax. Normally the way people talk about it, if they're against the tax is this money is not being used efficiently or effectively. Therefore it's immoral for us to, for you Mm -hmm. to take money from this person and put it in the government or do whatever. All the arguments are moral ones. Mm -hmm. Whenever we're talking about the law, the only persuasive arguments are moral arguments. Mm -hmm. You don't make persuasive arguments about laws that aren't moral because who cares? I would prefer this. Well, who cares what you would prefer? This is a law that affects everybody. Yeah. Why? Why do? Why is murder illegal? Because it's wrong, right? Not just because society's more just. However, while that's the way you think about the law, and while that's the way that I think about the law, and while that's the way that I would say ninety something percent of people think about the law, the truth is, is that the the, the one group of people who don't think about the law in, that, in this way are often attorneys and judges. Mm. And it's been that way for a very long time in what we would call jurisprudence, okay, which is just the philosophy of law, which sounds like, oh, great, this is going to be really boring. And is that because those laws affect that subset of people completely differently than it affects the rest of people? Is that why? I think that sometimes when you are too deep into a field, you can go awry. But I Mm. think that a lot of it just comes from an atheism that was particularly prevalent in the late um, 19th, early 20th century, where we really started to take a turn when we we thought about the law. Mm. Um, We'll talk in a minute about Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who was a very famous... uh, Supreme Popcorn Court maker? Justice. Oh. No, that's uh, that's Orville Redenbacher. Oh, oh. I'd rather talk about him, uh. but you know, eating popcorn on the podcast would probably be annoying and loud. Um, so Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, many, many, many years ago, early early 20th century. And he had a lot to say about the law and about jurisprudence. Um, and people have heard that name. Like you, you may not have heard it, but a lot of people, when I say Oliver Wendell Holmes, they'll be like, I've heard that. And they may not know where they put it, but he's very, very, very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Holmes was uh, uh, you know, completely against the idea that there was any connection between law and morality. Mm-hmm. And that's actually still a very prevalent view mm-hmm. among those who think about the law, that there's no connection between law and morality. We do what we do. Of course, that comes from there's no connection between morality and reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, So if there's no connection between morality and reality, and what I mean by that is, if there's nothing that's actually right or wrong, mm-hmm. this, this all comes all the way back in ethics, right? All the way back in, in, into the, the place where we say to ourselves, is there a God? Mm-hmm. Right. This goes. This goes back to if you're if you if you take on the view that atheism is true, you no longer have a place to stand to say that there's anything that's actually right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Now there are some atheists who have made arguments. Um, I don't find them persuasive at all. By and large, most people, including most atheists, I think, or at least many famous atheists, admit this: that if there's no God then the universe is purposeless. You are completely determined. In other words, whatever you're going to do, you're determined to do. You know, you're doing this podcast because you're the little atoms in your in your body have made you come to this place in time, okay? You're completely determined. And there is no such thing as what's right or wrong. So we can say we don't like what Hitler did, but we couldn't say that it was wrong. That's what they would say. Mm-hmm. Now, I think for most people, that makes them want to vomit. The idea, and of course, at the time when Hitler did what he did, we went in... Okay, the world came in and in Nuremberg, we had trials and and people said, listen, here's the deal. Uh, What we've done here, you know, for these for these soldiers and so on, it was we followed orders. Mm -hmm. We followed orders and the world said, no, I'm sorry. 
but that's not going to work. You can't just say, because if there's no connection between law and morality, then whatever country, in this case, uh, you know, Germany, mm-hmm. um, back in, in that time, of course, they're not like that now at all, but back in that time, um, you know, they made decisions. Mm-hmm. And those decisions were decisions for their country. This mm-hmm. is what we do. This is how we operate. Mm-hmm. And the world said, no, I'm sorry, but there are, that we understand certain things to be true. And you have violated the moral law. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, I was just following orders, but following an immoral order is not lawful. Mm-hmm. And so there, one conception is there's no connection between law and morality. The other conception is an unjust law isn't law at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be, you can promulgate it, which just means you can put it out there. You can pass a law, you can write it down, you can put it out there. But if it's unjust, if it's immoral, then it's not law, and that the only law that exists is law that is compliant with or consistent with God's law. Mm-hmm. So that's the position that I take on the law. Um, that's the position that I think huge percentage of people take on the law. That's what they, if, it, if it came down to we had this discussion, most of them would say, yeah, a law that is, is, that is evil is not a law. You know, mm-hmm. and and if it was an evil law, I wouldn't follow it. If 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 the law said, "All right, Hunter, you've got to go home um, and you know kick your dog," that's the law. You don't do it, you're going to jail. I think you would say it's wrong for me to kick my dog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you would be willing to go to jail for that, or not? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> tell us about what happened to your dog. As an aside, I know that you had a rough week with your dog. This oh week. yeah, he got into a little uh, a little tiff and. Uh, he uh, ended up with an, a decent little gash on his neck um, from his from his brother. They're from the same litter, and they got into a little tiff, and he ended up with a little gash on his neck and had to get stitches and everything, and it was it was a mess. And now the poor dog, the wor- he, I don't think he cared about any of that. I don't think he cared about the stitches. They, they put him out for the stitches, and I don't think he cared about any of that. But the worst part for him is now that he's stuck in a room, unable to do anything. He can only go outside on a leash for now, and so... That's what he hates about this whole process, and that's what we hate too, because he's kind of annoying right now. <laughs> but, but you care enough about your dog when he gets hurt to take him and get him repaired and do all that kind of yeah, stuff, yeah. because we see ourselves as having a duty mm-hmm. to animals that we've taken uh, c- c- care of, that mm-hmm. we're taking care of. And of course, that comes from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is that so much of the law that we have in this country and all around the world is based on scripture, based on certain principles. You have to look at it like a number of streams going into a river. Mm-hmm. Scripture is one of the main streams, okay? Mm-hmm. There are a number of other ones as well um, that that inform us mm-hmm. and how we think about the law. But scripture is one of the big ones. And and the problem is, is that the law is so complicated and has become so complicated. And that there are so many laws and there are so many people with, with a reason or an agenda to uh, affect the way or control the way as much as possible, you know, influence the way that you think about the law. For instance, there was a case back in the 90s, um, McDonald's, the McDonald's coffee case. Are you familiar with this oh, case? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me what you know about this case. Um, I know that it's used pretty commonly as, as a thing against lawyers in general, they, against the idea of lawyers, that lawyers are just um, taking ridiculous situations like this and and making and, and basically turning them into money waste the free people to get money um what i later found out but we'll get into that okay I, the first thing you said is is what most people think right yeah yeah so you, you say oh yeah sue me because 
Right. This, this person coffee. ordered coffee, burned herself with hot coffee. This is, this is the, the story. That's, yeah. She burns herself with hot coffee, and then she sues McDonald's because their coffee's hot, right? And yeah. they give her millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, and these greedy lawyers and these greedy plaintiffs, people who sue, yeah. right? This gets by. There's a couple of things that I, that I would advise everyone to think through mm-hmm. when you hear a story like that. If a jury has awarded millions and millions of dollars to somebody, you have only two options there. You have to either think that those people on the jury were literally so, you know, out of it, so Mm -hmm. weird that they would do something that you find to be absolutely ridiculous, Mm -hmm. that they would have done that, which is unlikely. I'm not saying that juries have never done anything questionable, questionable, but... But generally speaking, um, the, it would take almost some sort of weird collusion or, or, or you know, agreement between the plaintiff and the jury to have somebody do something on such a ridiculous set of facts. Mm-hmm. But there are people who have an interest in having you think that way about, particularly about plaintiffs who sue corporations. Who do you think would have the most to gain from having people think negatively about people suing corporations? Corporations. Corporations, <laughs> right? And, and who has the money to control messaging? Corporations, Corporations, right? And so the whole story that's always been out there is this horrible blah, 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 blah. Let me, let me give you the real story. So this woman um, ha- goes to McDonald's with, I believe it was her nephew, and she orders some coffee from McDonald's and does what many people would do um, with coffee. Her, her nephew, I believe, pulls over... Um, after they're at the window, uh, kind of over to the side, she puts the coffee between her legs and takes the lid off to put some cream in mm-hmm. to the coffee. And she, uh, you know, something happens. She gets jostled and the coffee spills on her, on her, uh, you know, her crotch basically, okay? mm-hmm. her legs, her inner thigh and so on. And the, she's wearing sweatpants. And basically what happens is the coffee is so hot that she gets third degree burns, has Mm -hmm. to have skin grafts. I believe she spent something like 18 days in the hospital. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a a little owie here. Mm -hmm. Um, And was, I believe, originally willing to settle the case with McDonald's for $20,000. Now, I can't even see how $20,000 would cover cover the 18 days in the hospital. But she recognized that some of it was her fault, Mm -hmm. you know, that there was some negligence on her side. Um, But the fact that McDonald's coffee was served at at a temperature that if it spilled could cause third degree burns is an issue. Now, why is it an issue to hand somebody something in a car, in a moving vehicle that you know people often take the lid off of and try to put cream into Mm -hmm. um, in a a moving vehicle (laughs) that, that if it spills... It's going to cause that kind of damage, right? Yeah. Um, your coffee that you drink at home usually is between about 135, 140 degrees. That will not cause dangerous burns to you um, mm-hmm. if it if it hits you. And you probably I don't you don't drink coffee, don't but drink coffee. if you've ever yeah. spilled coffee on yourself, it hurts. But you don't have you're not, you're not going to the hospital. Yeah. McDonald's was serving their coffee at between 180 and 190 degrees. So just about boiling, basically, and because that's where optimum taste is up between 180 and 190 degrees. Well, the issue is, is that McDonald's had, you know, when they did some discovery, which is to say they went to find out what kind of complaints have been made against McDonald's. And I've got the stat here somewhere. Um, I believe it's something like 700. I don't want to say, I don't want McDonald's suing me here. Um, according to this source, uh, there were, 
you know, let's just say hundreds of complaints. Yeah, it says more than 700 claims by people burned um, by its coffee between 1982 and 1992. Some claims involve third degree burn substantial or substantially similar to the woman in that case. Okay. Um, so basically McDonald's had had knowledge mm-hmm. that their coffee, that they were holding their coffee so hot that people were being burned, even in the case of third degree burns. And apparently there's hundreds of claims of people being burned by coffee, which, which what that does is, is you, as a corporation, as a, as a business, if you have knowledge mm-hmm. that something that you're doing, uh, that there's a likelihood that it's going to cause harm, right? That it's, re- especially if it's regularly causing harm to people. And third degree burns are no joke, right? Yeah. Skin grafts are no joke. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a very sensitive area of the body mm-hmm. that this, that this happened to this woman. This is an older woman, right? And she didn't go in asking for millions of dollars. She went in trying to recover some of her expenses is my guess. Yeah. Um, and they said no. So this goes to jury trial, and the jury awards her two hundred thousand um, dollars for her compensatory damages, which is just to say, um, you know, the medical bills, the pain and suffering. Okay, mm-hmm. not millions, two hundred thousand dollars, which the which was reduced because they found her twenty percent at fault. So in in states where they have what's called mm-hmm. comparative fault. You, you can assign fault, some fault back to the plaintiff. And if you can assign some fault back to the plaintiff, that amount comes off the award. So 20% fault. So she, you know, got 160,000 or 140,000, um, whatever it was. Let's see, I've got the number here. 160,000, right? 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what you got. Now, then the jury awarded punitive damages. And punitive damages are damages that are designed to what? Punish. Punish, right? So they're saying McDonald's, you have done something here that is that is jacked up. You knew people were getting hurt, and you continued to hand them time bombs, essentially, mm-hmm. into the windows of their cars, knowing that X percentage of them were going to really, really hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was they said, let's take two days worth of McDonald's coffee sales, which equaled $2.7 million. Holy cow. And they awarded that to her um, to essentially get McDonald's to make different decisions, right? It's, it, was a, it was a punitive award. It wasn't based on the fact that she spilled coffee, blah, blah, blah. It was, the idea was to correct the behavior of a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that punitive damages, when used properly, are effective in doing that, and that the threat of punitive damages is something that companies should have when they do things like know that you're going to get here. Okay. Even that, though, was reduced to $480,000. Okay. Whoa. So like the judge basically said, let's do 80%. three times the, the 160, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, we'll make that a punitive damage reward. Although the, the, the judge, uh, according to this source, called the conduct of McDonald's reckless, callous, and willful. So the judge thought that they really made, you know, this is a judge, okay? This is not mm-hmm. some crazy person out there. Yeah. This is what the judge said. Now, did you ever hear that on when you were hearing about this case? No. no. All you hear is the, is whatever. And of course... You know, and then they, of course, they settle after that, which is common, right? So somebody appeals, and usually you're going to come to some sort of agreement. So she probably got even less than that at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is McDonald's does not probably have their coffee at 180 to 190 degrees Fahrenheit anymore. I don't know. I know that some places do continue to have their coffee that hot, and I guess they're just willing to, or, or very hot, I guess they're just willing to um, take the risks. But those risks are risks that you should probably be made aware of. Hey, just so you know, if you spill this, this is not like your coffee at home. Yeah, yeah. If you spill this, what happens is if you spill it on your pants, 
it can't you can't get it away from your skin. Mm-hmm. That's that's the problem is that when it gets when the hot liquid gets in your pants, it's on your skin. You can't get it away from your skin, mm-hmm. and so the burn just continues to burn. So yeah, yeah. be careful. A let's the couple takeaways. A be careful with your coffee. Um, <laughs> that's really the main point of this. Podcast, yeah, be then. careful with with coffee that you get from from a restaurant uh, or Starbucks or whatever, and just be careful. Coffee's hot. Okay, we all know that, but I don't know if most people know that. At a certain heat, you can really, 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 really get injured. And so be careful with your coffee. Second of all, be careful about blaming this woman as if she's greedy or her lawyers as if they're greedy. A jury and a judge found that that McDonald's was at fault here, um, that they were, you know, 80 percent at fault and that their conduct was reckless and so on. So um, before you just assume that things you hear when you hear one little piece of the truth before you assume that it's true, look into it. Now, this this applies for a lot of things. I think a lot of people when we talk about our faith, right, we talk about Christianity. We've spent a lot of time at Acts Church talking through the evidence mm-hmm. for Christianity, right? And and what the real facts are and the real story is um, concerning the uh, the evidence and the you know the historical, the philosophical, the theological evidence for the truth claims of Christianity, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, for these types of things. And we have to do that because A, it's true and we have to work through it. But we also have to do it because there's there's a whole another group out there who make these kinds of claims, which is which, when I say these kinds of claims, I mean the kind that people made about the coffee thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, this woman burned herself with hot coffee and sued and got millions of dollars. Well, she didn't get millions of dollars. It wasn't as simple as that. People do that about Christianity. Oh, this is a book written by you know men, and and we don't even have the this you know we don't have the real documents, and we don't even have this you know people say all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. To just sort of dismiss Christianity. And the truth is, is that when you go to the facts and the real story, it turns out to be a very different thing. If you have questions about this and you're listening to this podcast, we actually have uh, Seeking Skeptics, that's S-E-E-K-I-N-G, Skeptics, S-K-E-P-T-I-C-S, dot com. And we have a lot of uh, messages on there that we've done at Acts Church concerning evidence for uh, the Christian faith, for um, for the truth claims that are made by, by believers. Go ahead and look into that. Uh, what you'll find is if all you've ever heard is, oh, this is a group of people who, who believe nonsense, well, I think what you'll find is, is that you've been misinformed. Same thing for this in the law. Now, now why am I talking about this? Because we got to come back to um, when we're thinking about the law and we're thinking about morality we have to understand what's going on in our own society, in our own culture. We have to understand, um, because the whole point of this is, I think, is a moral, you know, with the coffee one, I think that people are making a moral objection. You shouldn't be able to burn yourself with coffee and sue the person who served you coffee, right? Then you'll have the ones where, like, the criminal broke into the building and hurt himself and then sued the building. You know, whatever. This, mm-hmm. this kind of anecdotal, which is to say, oh, I've heard this or whatever. You're not pointing me to an actual case. Um, you need to understand that there are people in the world who are trying to put information out that is trying to sway the way you think. And they will do that if it suits their purposes. And it certainly suits the purposes of big corporations to do things. Of course, what have they done in the wake of this type of things? Just so you know, they've passed, if you've ever heard the word tort reform, uh, you may not have. Have not. But if you have, uh, the, the movement for tort reform, because torts is just when you sue somebody in for money. 
okay? Civil court as opposed to criminal court. Um, tort reform is where they've come in and they've done things like they've capped the amount of punitive damage you can, damages you can get. They've capped the amount of, uh, of a settlement that you can receive um, in a medical malpractice case or in a case like this where you're suing a corporation or anybody else for money. They've made caps. You can only get this much money. And they've been able to pass that kind of stuff by talking about runaway civil litigation, like the McDonald's case. And this is the poster child for it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you get people to vote for things because you say, we don't want, think of how much more your coffee is going to cost. <clears throat> Excuse me. If, if we let these kinds of cases go on, you're going to be paying $100 for coffee. So they use fear and they use this idea that it's immoral, that what these lawyers are doing is so immoral to get you to say, yeah, we need to cap these damages so that we can control costs so that we all can control our costs. Well, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll tell you from personal experience, um, you know, when I've dealt with those who have been injured, if there is a, a rule out there that caps the amount of damages that you can receive, your ability to get an attorney um, to to go after um, somebody in that case is limited because the amount that we can recover for that person is limited and the cases can be very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And so your type of people essentially are less likely to receive a remedy, what we call a remedy, but basically less likely to be compensated when somebody really does something really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's in the interest of corporations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm not making accusations against corporations in general, but I think you can probably, you know, f- you know, color in the lines yourself here. Um, be careful about what you hear about the law and what you think is right and what you think is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to the general um, connection between law and morality. Mm-hmm. So you've probably heard the phrase, you can't legislate morality. You've heard that before, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, that's a good point. But over time, I started to think differently. Well, let's talk about the first time you heard it. I mean, what do you think people mean when they say that? So I think I think the conversation I heard about was about um, legalizing marijuana or something like that. And, um, and I think it was all Christians in the conversation, actually. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I know. Um, and I think, I think someone said something effective. Well, you can't legislate morality because... And I get the the reason behind it, and I almost I, to an extent agree with the reason behind it. It's that if you you can't stop people from smoking marijuana by making a law, and so is that true? I mean, you can stop some people, yeah. I mean, but you can't like you can't put an end to all usage of marijuana. What about murder? Law. You can't. You can't stop all murder through a law. Clearly not, right? Yeah, yeah. So we shouldn't have a law about murder. And that ex- that's exactly where I eventually was like, wait a second. I think I've been duped. <laughs> I think you have. I was duped. I think you have. This is another one of those uh, cliches that's out there. Mm-hmm. You can't legislate morality. But as we talked about earlier in the podcast, every law is moral. Mm-hmm. Every, and as a matter of fact, you can't legislate anything but morality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything that you legislate is someone is claiming a moral reason for it, or you wouldn't ever get it passed, right? Mm-hmm. It's always moral in its, its basis, either in its effect or, or in, its, in its actual um, content. Mm-hmm. So either we're saying something like, you can't murder because murder is wrong, or we're saying you need to pay 10% 
in, you know, a sales tax in this state because we have to pay for the roads and the whatever, mm -hmm. which are good things. So yes. it's either in the effect or it's in, in the actual law. It's always moral. Mm -hmm. And so those who say things like you can't legislate morality can only be saying those things because as a either a cop out of some kind or a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you say, well, you look, you can't stop. And I, I'm making no claim about about whether or not marijuana should be legal or not, because I don't want to get into specifics. We're staying at 30,000 square feet. 30, <laughs> we're staying at 30,000 square feet. So we have some room to move around. And we're staying at 30,000 feet. And so I don't want to I don't want to make comments on whether or not marijuana or any other drug should be legal or not legal. That's a different argument, but I, but I guarantee the argument has nothing to do with you can't legislate morality, because if you follow that, as we just saw, well, you can't stop people from smoking marijuana. Well, sure you can. As a matter of fact, we've stopped many, many people from smoking marijuana because it was illegal and still is in almost every state. There mm -hmm. are a number of states who have legalized it now, but I can tell you when I was practicing in Tennessee, they stopped people from smoking marijuana all the time. They put them in jail. Yeah. Um, you know, there it is very illegal. It's a class A misdemeanor to, you know, have basically any marijuana and a class A misdemeanor can carry up to a year in prison, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 11 months, 29 days in, in jail. And so now I'm not saying that that's the normal punishment that you would receive for it. I'm just saying you could receive up to that much time for, for smoking marijuana. As we're here, where we're sitting right now in our ex church studio, we could go about five minutes away, um, maybe seven minutes away and walk into a store and buy whatever marijuana we wanted mm -hmm. as long as we were over 21 and, and so on. And so, uh, you know, obviously very different views on, on the law, and we'll see how all this plays out. That's a different issue. Uh, but law and morality are connected. Having said that, the people who don't want to have that connection are generally the people who want to have that cop out or want to have that ability to say, you know, let's, let's talk about the Constitution because that's the thing that people understand in, in the United States the most. And I know some of you who listen to this listen in other countries, um, but you probably have constitutions. Uh, many, many countries have constitutions very similar to ours, mm -hmm. um, although the way your judges uh, deal with it may be different. Here we have the Supreme Court, which is nine people. Um, I wouldn't call them necessarily representative in any way because most of them are, you know, went to either Harvard or Yale uh, law <laughs> school, um, you know, probably are in a pretty upper income bracket, you know, had a particular type of life that that probably doesn't correspond very well to the average American. Now, that's OK. Um, uh, it is what it is, uh, which is saying nothing, of course. Yes. It's a tautology. It is what it is. Um, but these folks are the ones who are. Who are who ultimately are the last stop for interpreting 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 the, the United States Constitution, and so one of the sort of uh, ways that they have looked at stuff, and, and when I say they, every justice is their own justice, and every every justice on the Supreme Court makes their own um, you know has their own agenda and has their own I don't say agenda, let me say that differently. They all have their their own ways of interpreting the Constitution. But one of the things that's come up is this idea that there are evolving standards of decency, okay? And evolving standards of decency suggests that the law changes according to what culture and society uh, at the time is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if, uh, you know, state after state starts making no speed limit, right, um, then we would start to say that, uh, the, that the standard of decency concerning how fast you go has is changed. Mm -hmm. um, 
now you'd have to look at a bunch of things like, well, why is that? Okay, well, we have self-driving cars now or something, and they can all, you know, there maybe there's some reason for it, but let's say no, nothing changed except for the fact that we said we no longer care about keeping the public safe from cars that are driving 150 miles an hour. We're willing to have, you know, double, triple, quadruple the amount of um, automobile deaths and so on because we care more about the freedom to drive how fast we want. Okay, that would suggest a change in the way that we look at traffic laws. Mm -hmm. Um, Does it change the moral implications? Well, clearly not, Mm -hmm. right? Morality doesn't change like that. Um, And so... It did not become okay for people to die in automobile crashes. And there's nothing in the Constitution about how fast you can drive for one reason. They didn't have cars at the time. Um, you know, but there's there's nothing in the Constitution that references the speed of an automobile. Okay. The Constitution references other things though. And um, the court has been willing to, the Supreme Court has been willing to um, let's just say spill over the banks of the of the river that the Constitution is flowing in, and this is my opinion, um, for quite a while now. When there has been a case where they where the, the court wants to um, make a self correction to what the Constitution means, uh, because they clearly can't be saying it's what it says many in many cases, um, but to what it means based on the fact that people have evolved in their views about what's morally right, about what's ethically right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, morality is kind of the, the mores or the things that we do. And so, um, but I think that, that society, it's very clear, and we can go back and anyone who understands uh, or has looked into history, we can go back and see what's happened historically in cultures, and that is that oftentimes as a culture gains power, prominence, wealth, and so on, their moral, um, their, their, their normative moral behavior, okay, which is to say the things that people, that the average person does, tends to become more and more morally corrupt. And that tends to end civilizations like the Greeks, like the Romans, and so on. What we see is more and more and more moral corruption, more and more and more and more, and as a society becomes more and more morally corrupt, you know, bad things happen. Okay. So in the United States, there are, there are things that I think the United States has done better at over time, and then there are things that the United States has done worse at. And you can look at any um, period in history and see that, where now we would look at somebody who was cruel, okay? Or, or let's just say who was um, uh, overly, I, I want to think of a way to, to put this. Um, uh, let's just say they were, you know, the English and the French used to really not like each other. Mm-hmm. I won't speak, I won't speak as to how they feel about each other now, but there was a time when they really didn't like each other and they fought all the time, okay? And an Englishman would have said horrible things about a Frenchman, any Frenchman, whether he knew them or not. And it was a very prejudiced thing for him to do. And same thing for a Frenchman to an Englishman. Okay. And we would look at that and say, it's immoral uh, to, to take, to look at somebody because of an external factor like that. Mm-hmm. You should judge each person based on, as Dr. King would say, the content of their character, right? Not the color of their skin, not the country they, they were born in, not anything like that. Um, so we would say that that Englishman was wrong. Mm-hmm. That Englishman would say to us... Um, you're telling me that I'm wrong for saying negative things about a French person, but you all, you know, while, while I'm too prejudiced, you all are morally, you know, sexually corrupt. You know, our, our culture has become, um, essentially a den of sexual corruption. I was looking on Facebook today, um, 
at, a, at like events, local events. It was just showing me local events. And a bunch of them were surprisingly like immoral. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. It was just hmm. like, it was just like these, these events that I just thought, what in the world is going on in Portland, Oregon? Um, and, and it takes, it takes something to shock me, um, because I'm, you know, I'm from this area, but my goodness, we're just absolutely corrupted sexually. Look at everything on television, look at everything. So this, this Englishman, while he was prejudiced and wrong, would look at our culture and say, well, you're less prejudiced, but you're, but over here, you're very corrupt. And it seems like wherever we squeeze, mm-hmm. it comes out somewhere different. Um, in terms of our, our moral behavior. And so the court, instead of saying, well, let's try to, let's try to see what's moral, mm-hmm. or better yet, what does the Constitution say? And let's not go beyond that. Different, different topic. We could talk about that some other time. But, you know, instead of saying what is that there is something that's moral, that's actually right, that's always right, no matter where you are, who you are, it's what are the evolving standards? How are we evolving in our standards of what we consider to be right? Mm-hmm. My argument is, and the argument of, of a number of, of people who, who subscribe to kind of a natural law view of the law, or let's just say that God is the one who really makes moral law, is to, is to look at that and say, look, these things, <laughs> they don't change. You can't, you can't change them. They are what they are. And so it doesn't matter what your perception is. Mm-hmm. Your, your standard of decency can't evolve because I don't care what your standard of decency is. I only care what God's standard of decency is. And it's our job to discover that. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we have scripture for that. We have the natural world and what God's made, as he says in Romans in Romans 1, starting at verse 18, that, that everything that there is to be known about God can be seen through what he's made, right? Mm-hmm. So we can understand. We know why it's wrong to murder. It's not just because it makes for a better society. It makes for a better society because it's wrong to murder. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so understanding those things, we would never talk about evolving standards of decency and people's perception of it because you can't change what's right and wrong based on your perception unless you don't believe that there is any such thing as right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that mindset and that mentality is that nobody can hold it and actually live it out. Right. I mean, do you know anybody who's an atheist who would say there's no such thing as right and wrong? Uh, they would say that, but they would very quickly say something I said was wrong after that, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you can't live that way. You can talk that way. You can, you can have a philosophy that way, but you can't live that way. Mm-hmm. Neither for yourself or for anyone else. You're, you're, you're going to say you don't believe there's any such thing as, as right or wrong, but when I take your wallet, you're going to be very upset. And you're not just going to say, I don't prefer that you took my wallet. You're going to say, you ought to give me my wallet back. Mm-hmm. And my response to that would be, well, says who? Right. You, you just said there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's, they're, they're, you know, there's, there's a lot to go over in terms, of, in terms of that philosophy, but it has crept into the law is my point. And so going all the way back to lawyer jokes, right? Uh, all the way back to lawyer, I'll tell you another one just because, you know, why not? I have some looked up here on the Internet. Um, it says, uh, as the lawyer awoke from surgery, he asked, why are all the blinds drawn? The nurse answered, there's a fire across the street, and we didn't want you to think you had died. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah, that's that's rough. So anyway, the reason that these lawyer jokes exist is because people recognize that there's something broken. 
about the law and about the way we're doing the law. And, and which is why you have people in front of the Supreme Court on both sides of issues and so on, uh, which, is, which is good. Let's have these debates and so on. Um, but the reason that people get upset with lawyers or judges or even Congress or whoever, the people who are making laws, the people who are um, in the work of doing the law is because we recognize the injustice and we recognize that, that there's this attempt by people to separate law and morality. And I would say as believers, you know, we have, we have our primary laws, right? The, the, all the law and the prophets are summed up in what, Hunter? This is your quiz. In one law? In, oh. in the, that. Give it to me. Oh. Um, I was thinking about something else. Um, all the law and the prophets are summed up in love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is that what it is? Uh-huh. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Yes. So we have first principles as believers that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And if we do those things, we can't do things that are wrong. If you're truly doing those things, you can't do things that are wrong. And we believe that all the other laws actually flow down from those principles. Things like you shouldn't harm others. Things like you shouldn't kick your dog. Things like you should take care of the earth. Okay, environmentalists who come and tell us that we ought to take care of the earth are making a moral case. Now, mm-hmm. now they may not always, uh, they may sometimes get their priorities wrong. For instance, taking care of the earth is important, but it's not more important than, say, saving the lives of unborn children or something like that, right? And so we have to, we always have to prioritize and look through, but they're correct that we ought to care Mm-hmm. about the plan because we were put in charge of it by God. And if we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbors ourselves, then both in loving him, we should be obeying him when he says, look, steward the earth. Mm-hmm. And we should love our children, our grandchildren, and, and your children and grandchildren that someday you may have, uh, Lord willing, by caring about the earth so that they are handed a, an earth that actually... Okay, these are moral issues, right? And these are these are not changing. They're unchangeable. They're true for everybody in every place at every time. And every time that we make laws that allow us to do things legally that are immoral, we're really breaking society in a certain way. We're really jacking things up. And while I am not arguing that we should legislate everything, mm-hmm. Okay, so I think, and I think that's really where, what people mean when they say you can't legislate morality. Um, I don't think they understand that's what they're saying, but I think that's what they mean. You can't legislate everything. I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make it illegal for you to call me a, a, a duty head. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just too far. We just can't make a law about everything. Is it good for you to call me a duty head? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Is it immoral? I don't know. It depends on how much of a duty head I was being that day. <laughs> but let's say I wasn't being a duty head and you're calling me a duty head then maybe it's immoral, but I'm not going to make a law about that. So you can't literally control every piece of someone's behavior. I'm not, I'm not arguing for that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for anything right now. I'm, I'm, I'm discussing mm-hmm. the nature of what law is. And so what I would say is when you, as a believer, when you deal with and think about the law, when you deal with and think about um, you know, political issues, whatever they are, Remember that you cannot separate law from morality. It is not a separate thing, regardless of what Oliver Wendell Holmes and his ilk, those, those who would follow his uh, philosophies, would say. There is no such thing as evolving standards of decency um, because the standard of decency is set by the nature of who God is. Mm-hmm. cannot be changed because our society has decided to go a different direction. Um, and that when you, when you think about these things and when you think about, you know, people get very worked up. 
about laws and about things the Supreme Court says and so on. Like I said, we can do another podcast or, or more on some of the cases that have come out and how a believer should look at them. But when you think about these things, you need to be, you need to be thinking well. You need to be understanding all the facts. Don't just hear some lady sued McDonald's and buy it and then believe that all lawyers are bad and that all plaintiffs are bad and so on, because it's not true. In mm-hmm. this case, it specifically was not true. Um, and oftentimes it's not true. And so as you think through it, as you're reading through scripture, look for those. And when David talks about the law in Psalms, and he's just like, mm, it's just so good. Like, it's like honey. It's, it's you know, I just want to eat it up. It's just, it's so good um, because I see in the law the work of your hands, God. I see in the law the nature of the way you've made the universe work. And there's no separation between the laws that govern the planets and their rotation and the laws that govern what Hunter Croft ought to do or how he ought to treat his wife mm-hmm. or how he ought to treat his dog or how he ought to treat you know, Pastor David or whatever. Those laws are the same. In other words, they're both there to make things work the way they ought to work. And it's because we've had the fall... And we've, and we've, our hearts have been, you know, our hearts are evil and we're, and we're broken. Then we do broken things. Our, the whole point of the law is to, is to see, A, see our brokenness in it. You see the perfection of God, you see our brokenness, then you know your need for Christ. So the law is a way to lead us to Christ. It's it's the mirror of the law, right? You look into the perfect mirror of the law and you see then, as you look in that mirror, who you are. That is what provides you, the, your knowledge that you need Christ, right? And that's why we're here. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we're at church on Sunday, at life groups on Thursdays and Sundays and Saturdays and whatever. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we live the life that we live. That's why you and I um, are, are doing what we're doing, right, is because we've seen ourselves in the perfect law, the perfect mirror of the Torah, uh, the teachings, the law of the Lord, and we've seen how broken we are, and we've seen the need for Christ and what he did on the cross, and in dying and, and rising from the dead, what he's done is he's shown us that that it's going to be, that what's broken is going to be made whole, that all things are going to be made new. And so when we're thinking about the law, we need to think in those terms. The law should be that which makes the crooked straight. The law should be that which, which uh, talks about the way that we ought to behave and the way that we ought to act so that at the end of the day, what we're doing is taking what's broken and making it right. And that's how we should be living. Um, and all of us make mistakes and, and violate God's law. Some of us make mistakes and violate man's law um, as well. And when man's law is consistent with God's law, then that's that's a, a big deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, maybe man's law isn't consistent with God's law. I'd, I'm willing to talk about that some with 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 some issues that I, that I would bring up. Um, but but that's our that's our goal. That's our job. And I hope that as you've listened to this podcast and and thought through some of these things, we're just just touching the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more we can talk about in terms of how a believer should look at the law and how a believer should understand some of the things that are going on in our culture and society. So, um, anything you want to add, Hunter, before we wrap it up here? No, I appreciate it. It was a a good conversation. Um, I think a lot of times I don't fully think think through. Um, these things, I I just take them for what they are. So it's good to break some of those ideas down. All right. Well, let's pray as we close. Father, I just pray that we would see the beauty of your law and we would see our brokenness in it and our need for you. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins, for rising from the dead and showing us that what's broken will be made new um, and that you've defeated sin and, and hell and death and 
um, that we can be right with you, even though we are lawbreakers. Lord, I pray that we as, as, a, um, as a church, and I'm talking about all of us, Lord, every believer, and that in our local churches and in our societies and so on, we would advocate for those laws that are good, that, that make straight what's crooked, and that those laws that do the opposite, that make crooked what's straight, that we would advocate against those. Um, but we would always do so uh, with the right heart, in love, uh, gently, uh, that we might persuade our neighbors, our friends, our family, uh, to look to you, uh, to know you more, and that through your law, they might see their need for you, uh, that you are holy, and that we've, we've broken the law and, and are not holy, and therefore can't be with you who are holy unless we have the forgiveness that comes and the grace that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and is the power of his resurrection, Lord. Uh, we thank you for those things, Lord, always for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for our salvation, uh, for freedom from sin. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to that Acts Church podcast. Glad you're with us today. If you liked it, we'd love it if you give us some feedback, give us suggestions about maybe some other law topics that you'd like to talk about or um, other topics outside of that. We would take those gladly and we'll catch you again next time.